quite different to make to train our hearts in hope, to learn how to wait and watch for the coming of this God and his kingdom. So keep awake, Jesus tells us. Keep alert, for you do not know the day or the hour. Like foolish bridesmaids, the parable we heard a few weeks ago, who fell asleep and let their lamps go out, the bridegroom may come when we've given up unexpectedly. It's a vivid image that Jesus gives us. All of these bridesmaids are sitting around, dressed to the nines, and ready for this play. But the groom doesn't show up when he's expected. So I think some of the bridesmaids start to give up on him in their hearts. I think their minds start to wander. Their lamps flicker out and they fall asleep. They don't go so far as to change out of their wedding clothes and head home to go on with their lives. I think it might be too painful to admit to themselves that the wedding is never actually going to happen. But in their hearts, I think they don't believe it anymore. They're still sitting there, all dressed up, going through the motions, but inside, their hope is gone. The lengths of their longing have gone out. foolish this is, Jesus says. Either we should do one thing or the other. If you really have given up on the bridegroom, then have the honesty to stop pretending and just go home. Mm. But if you still do have faith, if you believe his word, if you believe that he's coming just as he promised, well then, stay away. Keep waiting. Be ready. Keep the lamps of your longing lit. Don't give up hope. The bridegroom is on his way. Of course, a parable like this is never just a story. Jesus isn't talking about a bridegroom in a way. He's talking about himself. And he's also talking about us. Today's gospel reading comes in Mark right before the Passion narrative. Jesus knows, you see, that he's about to die soon and be raised up to new life and that he's going to ascend to his Father in heaven. He's looking ahead to all that and he's also looking ahead to us. To a church that will be tempted to just start going through motions. To get all dressed up and sit here on Sunday mornings. Not quite brave enough to stop coming all together, but in our hearts, maybe no longer really believing in the bridegroom's return. No longer really living like it's true. How foolish we are, Jesus says. Don't you believe me? Don't you believe that I'm alive? Jesus says to 
words to us, I think. And the church marks that with the season of Advent because our Lord knows that we need to cure. Over 2,000 years, the church has forgotten these words many times in different ways. When the church was rich and powerful, we forgot sometimes that we were still waiting for Christ's kingdom to come. We thought it was our job to rule in Christ's absence. Now that the church in the Western world at least is by and large small and weak, I think we forget sometimes that Christ really is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We let ourselves lose heart. We start to think that the fallen powers and rulers of this present darkness are all there is. Well, both ages of the church, back then in power and now today in its relative weakness, need the season of Advent just the same. We need to know that Christ is King and not us. Just because he hasn't come yet in his fullness doesn't mean that it's our job to take care of business for him. We also need to know that Christ the King really is going to return to put all things to Christ. We dare not give in then to despair. The thinking that just because we look all around us and see a world ruled by a confederacy of dark powers, dances, that Christ is not finally king overall. If you can believe it, the Bible foresees all of this. If we read the Bible and hear what it says to us, dark times and an exile in Babylon Because they think that Christianity is all about easy answers, about living your best life now and being hashtag blessed. And then life gets done with the tragedies and the hardships and the where is God hard questions that come to all of us. And they lose their faith because that's not what they were taught to expect. I didn't see that coming. God help me. But I come to you all from North Dakota, from the land of long, dark, cold winters and dour Norwegians. <laughs> I promise you that I will not preach easy answers from this pulpit. I'm not capable of <laughs> That is not the Bible. And that is not our Christian faith. That is why Advent, you see, begins in the dark, at the very bottom of the night. The church keeps Advent because the God of the Bible knows that at the bottom of the night, in the bleak midwinter, when it's dark and cold, we will be tempted to give up hope, to lose our faith. Prophet Isaiah and the Psalms were written 
from exactly that place, from the bottom of the night, from a dark time in Israel's history when it looked like all hope was lost. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, the psalmist cries out, you who lead Joseph like a flock, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come and save us. These names aren't just names. They represent the tribes of Israel's northern kingdom, which had just been destroyed by the conquering empire of Assyria. We still today call them the ten lost tribes. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine what it would be like for most of this country to be destroyed by an invading army and its inhabitants either killed or shipped away to Godless, then you have some idea of what the psalmist wrote this stuff. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts, be pleased. Show us the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. Good Lord, deliver us. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord. The passage from Isaiah comes from about a hundred years later, when things had gone from bad to worse. This time it was the Babylonians who had invaded, conquering the remnant southern kingdom, destroying the temple, and sending the survivors off to exile in Babylon. The promised land that God had given to Abraham and his children forever, the promised land, was now ruled over by robbers. The children of Israel were under the yoke of another pharaoh. It was a new boss. Same as the old ones. So, what had happened? The people of Israel asked themselves. Where was the God who had parted the Red Sea, who saved Israel with a mighty hand and outstretched arm? Oh, that he would tear open the heavens and come down the proper cries, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Tear open the heavens and come down. 
to the places so dark, so without hope, that all the writers can do is to cry out for God to somehow make a way where there is no way. Hmm. To reach out again like he did in former days, Isaiah says, to do awesome deeds that we do not expect. The poet of the Episcopalian W.H. Howard got it just right when he wrote in the Advent section of his Christmas oratorio. We who must die demand a miracle. How could the eternal do a temporal act? The infinite become a finite fact. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. We often, we often have a hard time hearing this, I think. But this is what the scriptures have to tell us this season. As far as I can tell, Texans know absolutely nothing about the bleak big winter. Registered, simple as it doesn't work. And the culture around us pressures us all the same to avoid the dark, to shut out the cold. To just throw up the holly and the mistletoe and pretend that there's nothing wrong with us that a couple of good New Year's resolutions can't fix. Probably mm. those Well, but this year, well, at the end of the year, we just made food. Mm. With the shootings here in Texas and elsewhere. And the view. so much that we have come to take for granted. I wonder if that isn't precisely what we need. It is precisely when we see how much we need to see that we begin to see how great the miracle of Christmas really is. Stop waiting for all 
Thank you.